Welcome to On Texas Football Sunday edition. I've got Ian Boyd of Inside Texas joining me. Uh, Ian, the Longhorns have a bunch of guys on campus recruiting. This is actually going to talk a little bit more about some stuff that we have talked about from a team perspective uh, this week. Uh, let's start with Tavondre Sweat. It's a guy that you did a deep dive on, a uh, young man out of Huntsville, Texas. He's a senior at Texas, and he's in his contract year. You know, this is the year where he's going to go try to make a first, become a first-round draft pick, second-round draft pick, make a lot of money. Uh, you did a deep dive on him. Uh, you put it up on the side on Inside Texas. Go uh, give us a little bit more color about where you think Sweat is headed and what he needs to do to improve his game and submit himself as a top-round pick like he wants to be. Um, I think some of the things that really stood out was just how they used him was just not really the way you would probably have expected a 6'4", 340-pound guy to be used. They played him mostly as a three technique alongside Keonje Coburn. When they would play him with a Alfred Collins or a Vernon Broaden, then they would move him over to nose. But when he played with Coburn, he played three technique, and he actually started nine out of 13 games. So he started over Oshimo, even though Oshimo <clears throat> had the bigger statistical season and was drafted. And um, I, I think a lot of it was they really liked having a big, sturdy guy like him in the three technique spot because they could put him wherever the strong side was. And if teams wanted to try to double the three technique to run the ball, then they were running into him. So he almost functioned like a nose tackle in the scheme, um, routinely getting double teamed, routinely freeing up the linebacker or Baron Sorrell outside of him. Um, he was very, very effective in that. <clears throat> you can see, like you'll hear from like team team news and team updates from time to time that he has a lot of pass rush moves. He has some burst. At times, his teammates have referred to him as maybe the best pass rusher in the defensive line. But um, you don't necessarily see that in stats. He, he did pack uh, pile up some of those quarterback hurry stats that Texas was credited with, but he didn't finish any of those plays at zero was credited with zero sacks on the year. I found at least one play where it seems like maybe he could have got a half sack, but whatever. So I, I think um, there's definitely a lot of meat on the bone for him. If he were to be a little better conditioned, maybe get a few more opportunities to get one-on-one -on -one battles and not be double teamed as often. Um, <clears throat> maybe if he had a little more juice on third down in the tank, I, I think that, and, and also if you're just, develop those pass rush moves just a little bit more to consistently win when he gets his opportunities or maybe they'll blitz more and that'll help him out. I, I definitely think that he could have a lot more statistical impact that everyone notices because he has, you can see the potential for a good pass rusher that, that gets stats and he was just, you know, a couple steps away or he was a couple opportunities away a year ago. Question for you, and, and, and two things. One is consistency. Was he consistent, in your opinion, last year? And second, you made mention of this. How important is production for him this year? I think um, usually they would give him in Cobra in the first two series and then pull him out. And I think you could kind of see – by the end of the second series, there were times where he was, you know, didn't really, he needed the break. Um, 
it's hard to know exactly like I guess you didn't see him hit the gas that often unless he felt like it was going to be worth it. You could see him if like, if he got free and the quarterback was trying to win to the edge, you'd see him hit the jets for a minute. And he'd be like, Oh, Devondre Sweat can actually run. Um, but then, you know, maybe he pulls out the next play. Right. Um, so it's, I don't know. It's hard to know exactly what he might be capable of if he could maintain the high motor effort more often. Um, it might be pretty jarring. But I don't know how easy it is for a 340-pound dude to get from doing that a couple times a game to doing that 20, 30 snaps a game, right? So um, we'll see there. I think, I think he would probably be drafted regardless of statistical impact. If he has a good year, he just keeps getting a little better and, and doing what he did already. But I think for him to be like a, <clears throat> a higher draft pick, you need to see those sacks and tackles for loss. Like, yeah, I, I think I, you could be drafted just off of this is a huge live body, but yeah, I mean, he's an NFL player. Yeah, that you and I, I think you and I agree. There's there's certain guys that are athletic enough, strong enough, they're going to get a chance. Now, maybe they only play two or three years compared to the seven to ten that their body may allow them or their ability may allow them, right? And I think that's where you and I come out. This is a guy. Ian, this is a guy that has a 10-year NFL body, you, right? I mean, that's – will he get there? Um, I think that if he's not getting there right now, he's only doing himself an injustice. We hear good things, but we need to see it in practice, actually, this year. And, and you mentioned getting in a little bit better shape uh, as part of that. Uh, he had done some work, it looked like, in the offseason, but still had some to go prior to his senior year based on what I saw. Uh, this spring. All right, let, let's talk a little bit here, uh, Ian, about the, the SEC schedule. And we I've, I've really hammered this with a lot of people. Um, and the reality of it is it's 2024. The thing that gets me going and when we talk about this and is just so eye-opening and we could talk about it until we're blue in the face, but until it actually happened, until I saw Florida and Georgia Coming to coming to town instead of Iowa State and Oklahoma State. I mean, Florida and Georgia coming down. That that's just huge. Um, I, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about where you see those teams going based on what they've got right now, um, because you do a little bit of a roster research and uh, style research on on teams outside just the Big Twelve. Uh, you you check across the country. What are some of the teams that kind of stand out to you and what they're doing that are on Texas's schedule that you want to talk about? I'm, I'm just going to give you the open mic. kind of. Well, I think Georgia is just an obvious, you know, challenge. They, um, well, what, it, is it because of their fronts? Yeah. Is it because of I, everything? What What is it? I feel like when you watch Georgia, not only are they one of the biggest teams in the country on both lines, but uh, I think they're usually the one, maybe the fastest. So the, the line, the linemen are fast. The linemen are fast. They're li they often have like the Roquan Smith, N'Kobe Dean, right? Four, four inside linebacker guy. They have, <laughs> they'll have like a 280 pound edge. That's going to go early in the NFL draft, but they're just having him eat blocks with his explosiveness. Um, and they're, they're offensive linemen too. 
they off they always have these like guards and tackles that really get off the ball in a hurry and move people. It's not it's not just that they get big guys. They probably aren't even as big as some other schools. They're not as big as as like Kyle Flood is trying to build on the offensive line. Usually, they have like explosive athletes. It's more it's more uh, DJ Campbell than Cameron Williams, right? Um, and then the tight ends too. They have. When Brock Bowers goes, they've already got more tight ends behind him that are very athletic. They're gonna it's gonna be insisted upon that they learn to block and translate that athleticism some in blocking. They're also gonna be great receivers. So they just always have big, freakish athletic bodies in the trenches. And so that it's just an obvious challenge. That's why they're the two time champions, etc. Yeah, no, I mean they've been the class of college football for two years. So you're not gonna I I, I want to see I really asked that question because I wanted you to communicate that to the audience. Yeah. The difference isn't necessarily the running back, the quarterback, or the wide receivers. Yeah. Although those it, are guys are pretty good too. <laughs> yeah. Those are, I mean, well, they're requisitely good, right? The issue is the, the tight end included on the offensive line, defensive front, they're kind of freaky. They're right. Freaky. They've been the best in the, in the country for two years running, at least in the NFL and in the NFL draft plays that out let me put it this way too i thought maybe tcu could give them trouble with the flyover and uh, people were like well won't georgia just run it over and i was like look texas played andre carich at tight end against tcu and tcu loaded the box but texas struggled to get a lot of ground and i was like i don't i know darnell washington is good but i don't know that he's going to be that much better than texas having andre carich there like the beef approach has been tried and found wanting. And then and then Georgia went out and just bulldozed them out of the way. Darnell Washington was ragdolling people. And I was like, oh, okay, Darnell Washington is actually a much better blocker than Andre Kirich. So yeah. And he's a tight end versus an offensive tackle. By yes. yes. All right. That guy was other, busy. Yeah. Other than he also just went in the first round of the NFL draft as a Did tight he? end, right? Didn't he go first or second round? I don't think, I don't think he – Okay, it, he went after, high. He went to Pittsburgh. Yep, perfect. He went place. high. Um, outside of Florida, or outside of Georgia, Florida, Mississippi State, Kentucky, Texas gets them at home on the road in conference. Arkansas, A and M, Vandy, and then OU in the Cotton Bowl. Any of those two, another couple teams maybe that you really have deep thoughts on in that group? I think A and M and Florida really stand out to me. Um, Texas. I mean, the last time Texas went to Arkansas was like the, uh, you know, how, how SEC already is Texas under Cirque. And it was like, no. It felt like the movie, movie Deliverance is what it felt like. Let's just be clear. All right. So what uh, – so that, that game is, is of interest as well. A&M, I think A&M – I kind of think that whatever happens this year, they want, they're going to want to give Jimbo rope to go into that year as well. Because I don't think they want to start over with a new coach – uh, and host Texas in College Station. I think they would. I think that could be like Jimbo's last stand. I think the emotions of that game are going to be intense. I think the defensive players are going to be trying to kill Quinn Ewers if they can, or whoever's on the field for Texas. Um, make sure all those Longhorn players are sure they want to be there. Um, they're not. It's A and M is not known for being like, you know. Baton Rouge or something in terms of violence in the stands, but 
I, I the, even up there, I think the emotions are going to be pretty crazy for this game. So that one stands out, you know, Connor Wigman and, and, and Evan Stewart are only sophomores. So they'll be in contract years. If something doesn't go wrong with their career. I, I think that one just, it's just obviously stands out. Um, Florida. I feel like Billy Napier is basically trying to do the same thing as Sark. And I think Florida is a sort of a similar institution to Texas where they have a lot of advantages being kind of the, probably the premier state school in a football rich state. Right. Um, Lucky land casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha. In my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. A little bit off and on with their success depending on the coach, like Texas, not very consistent with coaching hires. Billy Napier has been trying to build out really big lines on both sides of the ball. He's recruiting massive people like Kyle Flood. He's taking in enormous guys to transfer in and play. Um, And then the offense is similarly pro style, and Billy Napier kind of cuts his teeth on quarterback development. I was really shocked watching Anthony Richardson last year by um, just how much more skilled he was as, as a quarterback than I expected and how he obviously had been well coached on what to look for in the pocket. I, I think I think Billy Napier is maybe getting a little bit underrated around the country because it seems like since he's gotten there, there's been a lot of drama around Florida with their, their NIL and their recruiting, whatever else. Maybe some of the fans or boosters don't like him. I don't know. But I kind of think they're flying under the radar and they might be better than people realize. And I, I think Graham Hurt, Graham Hurts, Graham Mertz might be better than people realize. Because when I watched him at Wisconsin, uh, I thought he was, I thought he was actually pretty good, and there just wasn't a whole lot around him. Um, I, so I kind of think they, it feels like they're they're a parallel program to start Texas under Sark, and they have a lot of similar strengths and weaknesses and vision. And I think that game's going to be really, you know telling for the for their trajectories i agree with you i think that that the similarities between texas and florida is very high uh, as institutions and uh, uh, this is another one ian not just as institutions but the fact that they can be hit or miss as a program Uh, texas when mac was going great when daryl royal was going right parts of danny acres they you know texas is one but it hasn't been consistently enough um, whereas Florida has had some issues too, you know? So I, I feel like that's interesting uh, when you mention that. Um, I look at AM a little bit differently in that, uh, not that the, uh, 
not necessarily from a fan base perspective, but you know, AM right now, I think they would be more likely to make a move this offseason to give someone runway for the following season if things weren't looking right. And Jimbo, let's be clear. I mean, I don't know about hot seat, but there were rumblings last year. I mean, they didn't go to a bowl game in what is fifth, sixth, what year was it for him? They didn't go to a bowl game, you know? Um, And a lot of people were disenchanted there. They had a huge amount of attrition. I think this season for them is a do or die year a little bit for, uh, for Jimbo. For that reason, they may not want to. What you were describing, in my opinion, I guess, is calmer heads prevailing. That's not the A&M I know. When it comes to losses losses in football. Yeah. I mean, I'm not – but it's not the one I know Texas to bear either, right? So I'm not calling A&M out on that. I mean, Texas is is similarly situated. Uh, So I, I feel that's a little bit different. I, um, it, it, surely it depends on what they could line up, right? Like, I because my thinking is just that's a really risky thing. I feel like a lot of their fans are kind of on tilt right now. And if you upheave your program the year before you're finally going to host Texas again, you really, you really better make sure you know what you're doing because you're risking a lot. If Texas comes in there, and whips their butt first year back, that program is just going to be in complete shambles, right? Let, let me ask you, let me ask you this. Uh, I asked this of Paul yesterday in the Saturday conversation, Ian. Um, and, and Paul made the point that he feels like with the SEC, the creation of the SEC, and even with the Big Ten now adding USC and UCLA, that we're moving to these mega conferences where it's going to feel more like the NFL. And so NFL-like records with 75% win percentages are going to be seen more favorably than they are now. Paul's like, man, you lose two games and you're out of the national title hunt. He doesn't think that's going to be the case anymore. I don't think it's going to be the case anymore in, as, as frequently for two reasons, not only because of that uh, combining or merging of some superpower conferences, but also because they're going to a 12-team playoff, right? And then furthermore, I I just feel like, you know, college football is going to that place where tighter games, more offenses being more similarly potent kind of and uh, coached well. So I I feel that that's the case. Let me me ask you this, okay? Uh, If you're uh, a college football coach or a college football fan right now, and you're thinking what a good Texas record would be. And I asked Paul this for that 2024 season. What is a good record in your opinion for that, for that season going to Ohio or going to Michigan included. So we're talking non-conference included. Well, you know, you kind of want to see what the draft does to this team, but uh, I think nine and three and up is good. That's exactly where Paul came. Paul and I came in the same way. Nine and three and up would be a very favorable finish. Uh, anything below that is possible. I don't, don't want to, yeah. I don't want to set the expectations too low because they have a great year this year and they start rolling and you know, the trenches are good. Like they should be good again in 2024. 
But um, yeah, that schedule is no joke. Also, if I can, your point about the um, <clears throat> probably will be normal for nine and two teams. Well, I guess not nine and two teams, but ten and two teams to uh, to be in the playoffs. I think that that could impact offensive strategy as well. Because so, like Alabama last year, very complicated pro style passing game, which didn't really bear out for them for the each of the last two seasons. And, you know, they, they slip up a couple times and then they miss the playoffs. But no nobody wanted to face Bryce Young with another month with those young receivers last year in the playoffs. When Nick Saban went out there and was whining, you know, what would Vegas say if we were scheduled against any of these teams in the playoffs would be favored more so than these teams that got in? He was right. He was right. You, did, you would not have wanted to face that. But teams have been disincentivized from being as complicated in the passing game for the past few years by that college football thing where you can't lose games. Uh, I think if that changes, we could see teams explore different strategies because what you really, you have to have a good year, but what you're really going to want is to be clicking at all cylinders at the end of the season. And so which offensive styles allow you to do that? Got it. All right. Uh, that's going to be it for today, Ian. I really appreciate your insight. I, I know some fans uh, on Inside Texas and on Texas football do as well. Check all of Ian's workout at InsideTexas.com. Uh, and please uh, like this video and subscribe if you would. Uh, for Ian Boyd of Inside Texas, I'm Bobby Burton, and that's been On Texas Football. Hook them. <laughs>